Hey there, folks. Just wanted to jump on mic here before we start the show proper and give a shout out to our sponsor for this episode. And it is our friends over at Arrow Video, just putting out one great Blu-ray disc of cool films after another. Uh, And uh, our specific release we're going to shout out on this episode is Dario Argento's Deep Red. Uh, I believe the second part of his trilogy that includes Suspiria and Inferno. And with the new remake of uh, Suspiria coming out here soon to U.S. theaters in a month or two, what a better, no better time than to start diving into Argento's back catalog. And Deep Red is definitely one of his great films. So cannot wait to see this one on Blu-ray. Uh, Arrow Video just continues to do one, uh, put out great work, which we're thankful for as movie lovers. And they're helping us put out this show. So we thank them for their support. But we've got a show to do, so uh, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Adjust Your Tracking is part of the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find uh, all of our episodes at theplaylist.net. You can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts there. And if you do that, you'll also uh, get access to our other shows on the feed. So uh, we we ask you to do that. That would be great. Uh, but we got a show to do, Joe. What are we talking about today? So so disorienting. I just feel like we're wrapping up, and I'm like, was I in a fugue state for the whole episode? This is the end of the episode. Did I say anything too shitty about <laughs> this last movie? Well, on today's episode, um, we're gonna we've discussed this franchise before, hmm. or at least the original film in the franchise, which wasn't intended necessarily as a franchise when it began, because like not everything is a hatched franchise the way it is in these days and times at the movies. But um, I sense your bitterness. <laughs> Is it dripping? It's <laughs> dripping into the mic? Like the LSD from Mandy. It's just sweating out of your pores. That's true. Can't help it. Um, so we discussed, I can't remember how long ago. I think it was when it was like screening in Portland around like the 25th anniversary of Predator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was the 25th. So it was 2012. Came out in 1987. And like it's become like lore you know it's become just like part of pop culture you know the predators dreads you know the like all the great lines from the original predator get to the chopper um if it bleeds we can kill it uh oh just uh, all of them the whole and from part two everybody knows pussy face which is what danny glover calls the predator um that's that's up there with you know uh get to the chopper i think just pussy face is just that's common that's lore everybody knows that (laughs) everyone (laughs) so so like you know it's become just an indoctrinated part of pop culture and uh it's had now we're on its fourth official sequel with spinoffs including the alien versus predator series which i have not seen either one um you you were the same yeah i've heard conflicting things um, I've heard one that they're better than the latest installment, but we'll get to our feelings on the latest installment in a minute. Um, but, uh, that they're just not really worth checking for. Um, but so the original movie yes. predator from 1987, 
like because it's become such a common part of of pop culture there's like a name recognition to predator and therefore the predator that came out this last weekend and it was you know despite some obvious critical backlash and some controversy around an actor who had to be cut out because of a you know a a, a crime he had committed and like his co-star wasn't aware of it and felt very jeopardized by his presence in the film so there's a whole controversy surrounding the movie. There's bad. There's that bad press. Addition, in addition to the bad press of it actually not being well received by critics, it still managed to be number one at the box office. Um, and I think it and the movie falling out of the box office, The Nun, which is part of the Conjuring franchise, like there's a name recognition despite terrible critical reception so people are like nah i'll go see it i know this it's fine you know i mean not to discount people's genuine enthusiasm for the actual films themselves and hope that they're actually going to be good like there is that there is a sincere hope that these films are going to be good however all signs pointed to them not being good um but in order for these things to exist for them to have the name recognition to begin with to be part of the pop culture lore the initial films in these franchises dripping with <laughs> cynicism, um, they had to be good. And there was no assurance that the original Predator in 1987 had to be good. Because, like, on paper, though it's a high-wire act of being kind of, like, intriguingly dumb, it, it it's kind of like it's a goofball premise that was taken with dead-focused seriousness sincerity earnestness which is not to say that the movie isn't fun or funny which it is definitely but it had an integrity to it that had to elevate the sort of pulpy b-movie status which was essentially the log line is that it's you know a, a group of commandos mercenaries for hire go into the jungle and find themselves like under attack by an extraterrestrial hunter like that's could be a straight to video schlocky piece of shit right but it was taken with a focus and a sincerity and like the cast was all like the characters are all established with incredible economy Mm -hmm. and care and like they're all played with the same level of care and like you you're invested in every one of them so as they begin to get picked off in this intense claustrophobic jungle environment a toll is taken and so this movie was a surprise. It was like, it was, I think it was a script never, you know, it, I don't think it was penned by Jim and John Thomas mm-hmm. with the intention of it being an Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. But because Arnold was like ascending, you know, his, his popularity was like swelling at the time. Like 87 was kind of like, that was like peak Arnold time. It was after the Terminator, after the Conan movies, after Commando. Not to mention Red Sonia, which you love, um, <laughs> and uh, so like he he's just like the, people were trying to find the appropriate vehicles for you know an actor who the public was kind of in love with, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of those people. He was like a he was a he was just a complete phenomenon at the time, and so like you know Predator kind of came out of nowhere. It surprised people. Because it's a movie within a movie. It's a it's a hybrid movie where you think you're gearing up for what you're you're used to, which like 
two years before was Commando, where he just lays waste to people with machine guns, knives, saws, <laughs> everything. Um, and like the movie kind of adjusts you into that in Predator initially, and then veers hard like another direction, and does both with incredible skill. John McTiernan, who went on to direct Die Hard, like is sort of he's a he's sort of like out of those two movies was able to achieve like a sort of legendary status in terms of action filmmaking in the 1980s and beyond, because I think there was an apprehension Mm -hmm. because these were blockbusters. These were like big, Mm -hmm. arguably dumb movies that were executed with like an incredible amount of intelligence. And um, so at the time, I think that there, there was like, there was like a critical acceptance of him, but it was mm-hmm. begrudging. Like Siskel and Ebert, like Siskel went pretty hard on Predator. He's like, this is dumb. I'm tired of these <laughs> types of movies. And like Ebert's like, whoa, calm down. Like this is, this does what it's setting out to do incredibly well. Don't be an asshole. He didn't call him an asshole. <laughs> but basically, but then, yeah. <laughs> he kind of called him an asshole. So, so now at this vantage point, we look back at these movies and we're able to sort of be like, wow, these were actually like a sort of peak genre experience where at the time, I think they were approached apprehensively because there was like the type of movie that it was setting out to be was like, you know, not, it didn't, it didn't have a lot of integrity to it, mm-hmm. you know, but it's still, a, it's still like everybody involved approached it with a level of professionalism and and dead seriousness that's like that's it feels like it's absent nowadays most definitely so we talked about uh the 1980s and how sort of maligned they are in you know like folklore on a couple episodes ago when we were talking about the 70s but how even though a sort of block blockbuster minded uh mentality got really cemented into place in the 1980s it still feels like it has echoes of the previous decade in it with a sort of like character driven focus, a sort of grit and a, and a, and a, and an intensity and a focus that now seems obliterated feels like movies are so manic and distracted and so chaotic and so unfocused and so untethered to any sort of sustainable tension that like, instead of establishing tension, the movies just bombard you and confuse you into just being overwhelmed. So you feel like you had the sensation of being excited when it's just exhausted. Um, So like in the 1980s, as movies got bigger and to critics at the time, dumber seeming, you know, there still was traces of, that grit, that sort of like that, that sense of dramatically sustained tension. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, so I think those are examples of that. And like, I I don't know if I laid the groundwork for what our discussion is going to become about like how movies used to be sort of like picked for, uh, you know, actors as like vehicles for them. And though, even though they were part of like a blockbuster, um, like an intended blockbuster and therefore big and dumb, they still were original concepts. And they yeah. like now there seems to be an assembly line focus of the franchise filmmaking drip drip. And um, <laughs> that that now like all originality seems to be being tamped out. 
you're involving people who have original ideas, but with the, the assembly line, like manufacturing originality seems to be like the first thing that gets squeezed out of it because the algorithm has dictated what people want and we're only going to give them that and no surprises. And like the first predator was a surprise. I think you get the feeling you've seen this movie before, except I must say when the creature arrives, when the creature arrives, that's a little different in the beginning of the creature. But when you see the creature finally at the end of the picture, then you think you're seeing outtakes from the movie Aliens. As derivative as Predator is, though, it's not all bad, not by long shot. Schwarzenegger can be funny, and the creature, as I said, is a marvelous creation in its invisibility as it moves around and blends with the foliage. But the story is old hat. No, make that recent hat. Rambo mixed with aliens. Let me get this straight. You liked the creature as long as you couldn't see it. It was only when you could see it that you didn't like it. In its it. full, yes, in its full revelation. And you, I don't want to give away you too much of the movie. You enjoyed the early scenes in The Invisible Man, too. I did enjoy them. This, my, yes, my imagination is more interesting than the reality. This movie, it. I think, is better than you're giving it credit for. It's a, it is exactly what it is. It is a pure summer <laughs> action picture. Yeah. It is two hours of excitement. They shot it on location in the jungle, which is a very effective... Uh, placed uh, a very effective yeah, a good environment place to, to prefer a jungle movie. No, but I mean they could have shot it on the back lot somewhere. This looks and sounds right. It feels right. There's a lot of energy in it, and that's what it is. Of course, it's a cross between Aliens and Rambo. But so what? Well, the people the, the, who will enjoy this movie can't remember I last summer's movies. They probably can't I, remember last week's movie. Now come on. Forget the people. I don't care about the obviously people that are going to enjoy it. People. I don't enjoy it. I don't, I'm tired of this stuff, and that's all that I'm paid here to say. Okay, next movie. Our next movie is named Million Dollar. I shouldn't have been so hard on this. But what I'm trying to say is, not that they couldn't remember the movies they'd seen last week, but that it's oh, this is a Friday night entertainment. Yeah, it's very very effective. Your, your standards are dropping. Your standards. My are dropping. standards are not dropping. So, for before we just dive full on into. Predator in itself, like the the franchise. Um, what's your initial experience with like what, when did you see the first one as a as a as a young person? For me, Predator has always been one of those all time favorites because when I started owning VHS tapes, that was one of the first I bought, along with Total Recall. That was sort of yeah. me solidifying my Arnie love at the time, my Schwarzenegger love, and of course Terminator One and Two. Those were the other purchases at the time. Yeah. Um, back when my collection was manageable, I like really was hard. I, I chose, I was much, uh, like You're more discerning, discerning. Exactly. Like I had certain ones I had to have. Um, yeah. so predator like total recall got played a lot for me. And I was at that right age when I would have started purchasing tapes, uh, probably like early nineties era yeah. and just loving these movies. Uh, it's, it's the, they're very much in the wheelhouse of sort of a 12 year old boy. Who's starting to come of age. If, uh, especially if you tend to go for big, you know, big, bold, uh, violent action movies. I mean, they've got that, but what's, what I've been most impressed is not the right word. What, what's just been sort of like heartening as I've gotten older is that predator remains a great movie because yeah. it's great at what it does. And I loved that little clip you sent me of, of Siskel and Ebert's review of it at the time, because it's, it is almost quaint now to hear Siskel complain about what he does with predator because he, he's not alive now to see how much more he'd be complaining, you know, like yeah. the, the stuff that we roll our eyes at and predator has such a, what I think really makes it a great movie is that it has a focus and it's, yeah. it is so 
I don't think it's flashy. It's not a stylish action movie. John McTiernan was never like a flashy director, but man, he always had, especially with, um, with predator and Die Hard, one after another, he just knew where to put the camera. Yeah. And editing makes sense. The, the choreography, the geography, especially in predator where you're in a jungle, 360 degrees, like they really shot it in that environment yet. It doesn't all get lost. Like I can, you can follow that movie. And I think, I think that's something audiences don't think about that. Just go to see these big blockbuster driven action things. It's like, it's not as considered. And I, it's almost like it doesn't matter to the filmmakers as much right. because yeah, cause it could be fixed in post or whatever. But McTiernan, I think was really a master of in camera setting the stage for action. And, um, he's, it, it, I think predator is a great, and it's economical in its storytelling. Yeah. It's less than two hours. Um, so I think there's a lot to look back fondly on it. And I, I just think the subversion you, you pointed this out, especially coming off of commando, Predator looks like a commando sequel at the beginning. Yeah. And uh, almost akin to something like T2 is there's a subversion of what you think of Arnold Schwarzenegger, where like you're not supposed to know that he's like you you think you know what movie it is um, in the beginning of Predator. And then it's subverted to become more of a horror action thing. And I think that's where it starts to really yeah. at the time stamp out new ground that uh, that still holds up so well. So, yeah, I, I love Predator. I absolutely love it enough that even going through the series again, which the first one is really the only truly great movie. Um, mm. I still, I still enjoy it. So uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of this, this franchise, Joe. Well, the first one anyway, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So like it's, it, I think it is genuinely subversive and in a year and even a, even a season in 1987, cause it came out the same summer as RoboCop. And so it's like, oh. you have these hyper violent movies that like RoboCop is more overtly satirical, but both movies are like pretty subversive mm-hmm. on their own. Whereas like, you know, you, I think you can just at surface value, take the machismo of predator and be like, nah, it's a glorification of all this. Just like dude, macho culture. Right. But it's like, what it does is it presents all of that up front where they're like, you have the iconic, like, you know, opening handshake, Rick, yes. Dylan, you son of a bitch. And like <laughs> watching their like swollen muscles. And then they start to, you know, arm wrestle midair. <laughs> Beautiful. I want to see that in 3d. I really do. That shot alone yeah. <laughs> Just sticking out of the screen. Just looped for two hours. <laughs> Not the rest of the movie. Um, Strap me down like Alex from Clockwork Orange. I'll watch it for two hours. Please. Um, <laughs> no toothpicks necessary. Just no. need to prop my eyes open. They're open. <laughs> um, so like all the machismo that's like front loaded in the beginning and like the opening section where they kind of like descend on this compound, which they're convinced is like their their whole mission, which turns out to be like a kind of betrayal at the hands of Dylan played by Carl Weathers. Um, like that, all, that whole action sequence, which I found out, you know, in doing some sort of like uh, research about predator uh, for this episode, like uh, John McTiernan actually didn't shoot that action sequence where they're like blowing everything up. Oh, wow. Cause it doesn't, and it, it's like, I think it fittingly doesn't feel like the rest of the movie mm-hmm. because like, it's just like, it, it looks like a sequence from commando where they're just blowing everything up and you're kind of getting, everybody's establishing their role in the sort of squad. Right. And like, you're getting a sense of what everybody's expertise is. And there's just like a kind of like confident sort of like, who cares? And they're just blowing everything up. 
Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, and I think that's to achieve a kind of tone that's then takes a hard veer, like just a hard right from, because then all of their masculinity is completely obliterated in the face of like pure naked terror at like what they don't understand is happening to them, which is that they're being preyed upon by a sort of like a, a superior being from outer space. That's an, it's an alien and it's hunting them. And like there, there's the sequence where they're just like machine gunning into the jungle at, and they don't know what they're shooting at. Yeah. Like I've heard people criticize that as it's just so dumb. Like, why would they do that? And like, it's a, there's a purpose to it. Cause there's yeah. like a complete utility to their effort. And it's all of that machismo that got built up through pop culture in the 1980s of like Rambo just machine gunning everything down and like just like that resolving everything. Like here they were like these these incredibly capable killers spraying their guns until they're empty at nothing. And then they're just like left with just their terror. That's that's beautiful. Like that's such a beautiful (laughs) subversion. And like, and every line delivered, like, I think that there's, I, when I saw it in 2012 and mind you, I did see it two years later when I, after I moved to LA for another revival screening, <laughs> I was not able to see it last year for the 30th anniversary because it sold out too fast at beyond fest. But when I saw it in 2012, like I remember people laughing at a lot of lines and not because I, th- not because I think that they thought that they were funny or they didn't age well. But because, like, there's nothing kind of quite like it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that interface of, like, of just, like, you know, Sonny Landham plays Billy, who's the Native American tracker, who, like, yeah. is, he's, like, I think everybody's great in this movie. Honestly. I think the cast is a big part of what makes this movie work. And it'll be the, I think, the thing we go back to as we talk about the sequels, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um so like the the whole ensemble, Bill Duke, Jesse Ventura before he completely lost his mind, um, uh, Carl Weathers, Sonny Landham, Shane Black, and I can't remember the actor who plays Poncho, but uh, yeah, me either, yeah. But like they're just they're they're all so great, and they bring just a grit and intensity to every scene, and like l- just lines where like you know like uh, Bill Duke as um, as Mac, he's just like I let off a whole clip. Didn't hit nothing. Nothing could, <laughs> nothing could have survived that. And it's just like, there's such a, there's such a like genuine intensity built that like, if it, I don't know, like there's a laugh at something like that where it's like, what's intended to come across doesn't come across. Mm. And you're like, ah, it didn't land. Ha ha ha. That was stupid. But like, I think it was just like, because you don't get that level of earned intensity anymore, people don't know how to react to it. And to your point about like, um, McTiernan's like ability to shoot action and his economy and like knowing where to place the, the camera and how that doesn't seem to matter anymore, you know, with like modern sort of like spectacle driven films that whose action seems to be like hectic and uncentered and untethered to anything Mm -hmm. like i think you're right in that like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter to the audience it doesn't matter to the director and like that bleeds into like huge problems i have with the predator but like in in the face of that understanding of like that doesn't matter anymore i don't know what does matter you know what i mean like if you can't Mm. measure the ability like the the 
like quality of storytelling because certain things do and don't matter anymore. Like, I don't know what does matter. You know, like we're un we're like, it feels like we're untethered in that sense. And we're just like floating through this, like these like shifting sands of like, you know, like what, what qualifies as quality anymore. Yeah. I think it's why you and I go to bat so hard for these older films that we still think there's value in. Yeah. And we, we want to remind people like, yeah, have a good time. If you go to a screening, laugh at whatever you laugh at. As you pointed out, people are just going to do that stuff and everybody's there for different reasons. But uh, I, I'm slightly obsessed with the movie we talked about last week right now, Mandy. And right. I think that is having now seen it in a very crowded theater at my work a few times just to see how the audience reacts like. It happens with that movie. There are times that I don't find that they're going for comedy that people still laugh. Right. Um, there's all these different expectations wrapped up. But another thing I just want to point out, and, and Mandy, it seems like at least that movie, when it becomes action heavy, I think Panos Cosmatos took certain lessons from a John McTiernan of like the camera doesn't move a ton. It doesn't over edit. It doesn't cut too much. Mandy lets yeah. you see the action unfurl and also has an amazing cast, uh, especially the action lead when Nicolas Cage goes crazy, where he, he carries you through this movie and elevates it in that way. And I do think you can't say enough about how great the cast is in Predator. I think you need the iconic lead of an Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. For one, that's what makes the subversion works. And he has to be a guy, a human being that can actually match up with the with the actual Predator creature because that thing is such it's such a unfair fight. And I think yeah. not enough is talked about the emasculation that happens in that movie and how interesting that is at that time. Uh, and I think people forget that. And then again, just say, Oh, it's a dumb movie, whatever. But I also think there's real care and um, thought put into the loss of when people die in predator. I feel it. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't, yeah, I don't want to overstate it, but I think like as soon as characters start getting picked off, that's what leads to, that that massive machine gun scene you're talking about. Bill Duke is out of his mind in that scene because he just saw his yeah. friend get murdered and he loses it. His and friends. Yeah. Exactly. His friends. Loves. Yeah. And the, exactly. You yeah. feel that sort of sense of camaraderie and adoration between them. And it's established very subtly. It is, and it's also like, when's a horror or an action movie from the 80s that really stopped, even for five minutes, to just, like, remember a dead character? And the movie incorporates that. That's, that's again, the economy in Predator is, like, you're getting stuff where I'm learning about Bill Duke's relationship with Jesse Ventura once he loses him in the movie. Spoiler for a 30-year-old movie, but... Like you're, you're, you're getting stuff built up while the action and the narrative is still pushing forward. It's such, it's actually pretty good screenwriting, I would say for this type yeah. of movie too. And I think all the pieces really come together in something like predator that makes it still last. And I, I also think, and this is another, just like, it's almost unfair now to compare it to the sequels, which are so inferior is, is just like the violence and the action is really good in predator. Like I think the like, I, I don't want to sound like a weirdo, but like the violence is kind of beautiful in Predator, I think. Like, it's seeing the way certain characters get taken out, the way it's framed, the the buildup. Yeah. By the time Carl Weathers and Bill Duke are like madmen going into the jungle trying to find him, find the Predator, it's it just, there's, I, I think it's a great movie. It is yeah. a great movie. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm just going to keep repeating that because uh, I want to remind people like that first Predator is such a such a great movie. And I wish I wish even the sequel that came out just this last weekend could 
could match that. I had hoped that it would, it didn't need to match it. I didn't expect it, but like, man, give me something that reminds me of what I like about that first one. And, uh, you know, that did not really happen. Well, okay. So, so with, there, there's a lot of things that happened, you know, in the, in, in this original predator in 1987 that like are like just a huge problem with like what things have become nowadays for one, like because out of necessity, it all had to be practical. All the, you know, the stunt work, the special right. effects. And like, as they were working their initial mock-up for the creature was laughable. Apparently yeah. <laughs> it was one played by Jean-Claude Van Damme, who was in yeah. a bright orange bug suit, which they were going to like <laughs> later fix, you know, but like, they were just like, this looks wrong. So they got Arnold Schwarzenegger to enlist Stan Winston, who he had worked with on the Terminator. And like, he came up with like what has now become like an iconic movie monster, the predator. And um, like, that was because it was happening then and there. They knew they had, they were like, this isn't working. We have to fix this now. And so like that sense that I think that sense of like knowing it's not working and needing to do something to problem solve it right then and there has now become like delayed. And they're like, yeah, we'll fix it all later. And so there's less of a focused intensity on making things work in the moment. And you feel that in the distractibility of modern movies. Yeah. There's just, is just a, a sort of overly hectic, distracted sense of like the action going on. And like, I know that there are exceptions to that rule, you know, with like movies like the new mission impossible. I haven't seen it, but like, you know, there seems to be a a sort of attempt to go like against that grain of just sort of distracted, who cares, throw everything at the wall. We're all going to fix it in post kind of Mm -hmm. mentality. So you have a movie that surprises everybody. And, instead of learning the lesson of like, let's some, let's surprise him again with something different. Like you have a success and you know, let's not fault people for wanting to sort of like give the public what they think they want. So you have predator two, which comes out in 1990. Um, <laughs> the year of the year of questionable sequels. <laughs> I think there was a, there was a, because predator and RoboCop came out in the same year, their sequels came out in the same year, RoboCop two, Predator 2. Um, Predator 2 seems to take a lot from RoboCop 1, if not RoboCop 2. Obviously, it couldn't because they were in production at the same time. Right. But there's like a lot of... It, the movie takes place in what, what what then was the future of 1997, which, P.S., 1997 was a fucked up year, apparently. <laughs> that's when Snake Plissken falls into New York, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. when Class 1999 starts and like... <laughs> It is 1997. <laughs> Gangs are out of control. Seattle is fucked. I think that's the original prologue for class in 1999. So 1997 is fucked, according to the year of 1990, um, <laughs> which is when class of 1999 and Predator 2 came out. And Predator 2 uh, does, it also involves a great deal of gang members because it's setting, it relocates the jungle setting of the original Predator to the urban jungle of Los <laughs> Angeles in 1997. Yes. And, uh, so, I mean, there was a, there's a handful 
in addition to RoboCop 2, but there was another 48 Hours. There was Die Hard 2, which as a child, I thought that movie was not good. I have since revisited it, and I think that movie is actually very good in retrospect. Oh, it may say more about modern movies than it does about like what it's the same. It's the same Siskel and Ebert effect of being like, that wasn't good. I'm like, actually, that was good. Wow. We things have fallen very far. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, so this movie comes out in around Thanksgiving. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was like intended as like a summer release and it just got delayed because they were like rushing it or so. Cause I know that there was some things that were like rushed about the movie. Mm. Um, Stephen Hopkins was the director who had previously directed um, nightmare on Elm street five, which I have recently revisited after only seeing it once as a child. And uh, wow. (laughs) It like, you remember like seeing movies as a kid and just feeling like the satisfaction of wanting to see, you know, in this case, another nightmare on Elm street movie, having that satisfaction appeased, you mistook for thinking it was good. Yes. So that's what happened. I was like, well, I remember that one was pretty good. And like, as an adult, I'm watching I'm like, Jesus, this movie is actively terrible. And so like, uh, I think that was his last Second movie film. before he made predator Two. Yes. He, he then went on to make like judgment night, which I think is actually a, a pretty solid, you know, like, urban thriller kind of in the vein, in the same vein as like the sort of thrillers with economy that we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But this film, I think even though it was like, it's pretty critically maligned, like it has a lower percentage on rotten tomatoes than the new predator movie. Um, but I think that's only because it's, it's such a, it's a movie that predated rotten tomatoes. So like, yeah all the all the reviews are just whoever decided to backload it and be like this movie sucks and it's just like well let's be fair and put it into the context of history like cuz in watching it, it 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 at the very least tries to like surprise the audience by taking a familiar genre this time a cop procedural right. set in the not too distant future Los Angeles dystopian Los Angeles and then hijacks it into another a- being hunted by an alien movie. So it's just like, right. that's, that, that, that's an attempt. They tried. Um, I think that there is a claustrophobic urgent intensity to the original that is then dissipated when you're setting it in a city like Los Angeles and the pace therefore kind of dies down. I think that there are some strong set pieces in the second one. Um, there are some moments that are pretty great and like it's attempt at RoboCop level satire, like though it doesn't always connect at least as like a flavor that's appreciative, you know, that or yeah. that I'm appreciative of. It's just a movie that like, despite uh, certain things working in its favor and it looking gorgeous in comparison to like movies nowadays shot on film, <laughs> like really fluid camera work, um, you know, a cast that's like not on par with the original, but it's like, it's a good mix of a cast. You know, you've got Bill Paxton, yeah, Gary yeah. Busey, Danny Glover, Maria Conchita Alonso, <laughs> Ruben Blades, like, you know, pretty, pretty strong. Uh, Hollywood was very afraid of Jamaicans that year, by the way, because <laughs> they, they, 
they yeah, played a big part in Steven Seagal's Marked for Death. Um, oh, yeah. And that was like literally a month apart from Predator 2. And I was just like, as a kid, I was like, why does... Why do they hate Jamaican so much? <laughs> yeah, the ethnic uh, stereotyping in, in Predator 2 is, you know, it, it dates it a little bit, or a lot bit. But a lot, yeah. It does, and once you realize, okay, just accept it, this is a cartoon future dystopic reality. Yeah. Maybe it gets a little more like, okay, you could lean in, if, it's, if I take it as a cartoon reality, it's a little more acceptable as a movie movie thing. Right. But still very silly. Uh, sure. But actually, I'll say this, because... Rewatching Predator 2, that's some of the stuff that makes it, it gives it life a little bit, or like it made it enjoyable. It's, 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 I think, far goofier than uh, the first one. The yeah. first one has that focus and the seriousness that we've talked about. Yeah. The second one just leans into other trends at the time. So if the first Predator was like, well, let's take the commando style action movie and merge it with an aliens type horror sci fi thing, yeah. Predator 2, they they at least want to try to do something different. So they take what was trendy at that time, even a few years later. It's it's gang warfare, dystopic L.A. that's just rotting, you know? Like, yeah. they, they try to merge that with the Predator story, and at least it's a valiant effort. Uh, again, in comparison to, uh, I think, what we're going to really complain about with this new one is, like... We're just going to be uh, so tired by the time we get to it. Be like, look, we didn't like it. Never mind. <laughs> I would be okay with that. Uh, but yeah, no. And, and Predator 2 also has some, like, uh, as you mentioned, some of the people in the cast are like, I enjoy seeing Bill Paxson play a real douchebag, funny, smart mm-hmm. out character. Um, Gary Busey really brings the movie to life when he shows up. And I will say is maybe one of the more memorable death scenes in any of the Predator series. Uh I, I can vividly remember that from even seeing it on cable all the time, Predator yeah. 2 is like, when's the scene going to come where Carrie Busey gets sawed in half like the giant racks of meat in that freezer? It's it's pretty actually cool. And also a good sequel thing. It, it sort of ups the technology that the Predator has or yeah. gives you some new things. You know, it, it works on a sequel level like that. Uh, and I can definitely like respect that. And, yeah. you know, looking back. Yeah, there's there's something about like we're when I was mentioning earlier that like in order for a franchise to establish itself with an original film, the original film has to be great in the same way with sequels. Like this is a, a bit different just because like you're introducing an, an entirely new cast. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger obviously is not reprising any role. He hasn't showed up in any of the like, you know, following sequels of the predator movies. Yeah. But like with sequels, typically like um, the initial movie has to do a lot of the groundwork of establishing the characters, making you believe in them, investing, you know, investing all of your, your focus on like their drama, making that drama convincing. Like there's just a lot of work that then sequels just sort of like broad stroke kind of like, you know, play it sort of everything exaggerates slightly, you know? And like, I, I think like as the lethal weapon movies moved on, um, shouts out to Danny Glover from predator Two. Um, like it just got to be more caricature oriented and sticky. And so it's just like, if, if an original movie kicks down a door, the sequels just sort of like saunter through and they don't make much of an entrance just cause they're like, ah, the door's open, you know? Like, so it's just like less, it just feels like there's there's just less care and focus on establishing things 
And like, uh, so even though there's, there's a good amount of like, you know, decent character work in this one, the characters aren't as strong, you know, they're just, they're not as like well drawn out the, the sense of space. And like, even though I think it's like actually an intriguing premise to set it in an, urban environment and one that like is just the sort of what 1990 imagined seven years in the future would be like, which was hell it got um, that fast <laughs> and hot as fuck. Like it was a hundred and nine <laughs> degrees, which PS, if anybody cites the new, the predator as like having an interesting angle with mentioning climate change, like part two already did that and didn't make a big deal out of it. Like mm. it's like, it's hot as fuck here. It's only getting worse. It's driving people crazy. <laughs> and that's why the predators are coming here. Like it already was done. And so yep. now it's just sort of like telegraphed in and like the new one. And if like, that's if people cite that as like a, a like something, you know, kind of, like worth mentioning it's just like it's already been done and like Mm. it was more subtle like our audience is getting dumber like i don't understand so part two tries um yeah you know there's (laughs) it's dumb um (laughs) but i think that like just in terms of like in revisiting a lot of old movies that like i had apprehension about as a child you know like there's a whole handful of them and i'm like this actually has aged so well and it might just be that there's no analog nowadays like the 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 kind of movies that are able to achieve uh a sort of focused intensity with an economy that isn't just world destroying hectic incoherent action are mostly relegated to like VOD movies now and nobody's watching them, including me, you know, like, so, you know, the, the, because there's less attention paid to them, there's less money that goes into them. And therefore they're they're like money doesn't necessarily dictate quality as you can see in um, last weekend's the predator, but like, you know, there's just, there doesn't seem to be the care and concern put into the artfulness of a, a lot of like the genre, like what the genre is putting out nowadays. Mm-hmm. So part two tries um, and part three, which, you know, this is where it's no longer predator three, but like there's a generous cooling off period between predator movies. <laughs> Cause, uh, when, when did the alien versus predator start 2004 something yeah, like that so early 2000s so even that that's 14 years from like so i don't i don't know what happened like i know that predator 2 did not do well um it was it's fierce competition at the box office at the time was three men and a little lady and oh boy. and home alone so I think the audience chose. They're like, listen, we really want something wholesome. We don't want to see. We're tired of the Jamaicans being maligned at the cinema. Um, so count us out. So I, that probably factored in. And then I think, you know, doing the, the watching the numbers, they're like, people still are interested in predator movies. So let's, uh, let's dust off this franchise. And uh, so let's get past AVP since neither one of us have seen it, but yeah, Predators comes out in 2010, um, resuscitated by Robert Rodriguez, who was a writer on it, correct? Yeah, and producer. And a producer. And then director is Nimrod Antal, who yeah. had done a few Control. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, like, 
I don't know if I had, I don't know how I, now I can't remember what I was feeling going into it. I probably didn't have high hopes, but like, like went to go see the movie when it came out in the theaters, super strong opening to the movie yes. starts with uh, Adrian Brody plummeting like inexplicably towards the surface of like what looks like earth. And uh, uh, like, he's panicking, trying to get his parachute to open. It's a nightmare. Basically he wakes up in the middle of a nightmare and then his parachute goes up. He slams to the earth predators. The title comes up and it's like, fuck that's bold opening. That's yep. great. Um, and then little by little, he starts encountering more people sort of like slamming to the, the surface of the planet and they're all coming to, and they're trying to figure out why they're there, what's happening to them in this kind of like existential puzzle. And like that, like there was something, there was a heightened nightmare quality to the movie that I forgot, like from seeing it in the theater that like, that felt new to the, to the franchise but there also was the return to the simplicity of setting it in a jungle like setting and having a pack of people who like, instead of all being on the same side, they, they, they're all figuring out why they need to be on the same side. And that tension was sort of a new dynamic. Right. And I think that like the first half of that, this movie predators uh, is like, is really strong. Not to mention, like, the cast is great, too. Like, mm-hmm. Adrian Brody, who, you know, you might be able to find on the bottom of a of a clickbait article where it's like, why Hollywood won't hire Adrian Brody anymore? And he's just one <laughs> of those, like, sad fa- faces that you see, and you're like, yeah, why won't Adrian Brody get hired anymore? <laughs> um, he um, is a strong lead as the sort of, like, main hero in this Mahershala Ali is a part of their group. Yeah. Walton Goggins. Um, you've got a little Danny Trejo, little toe for grace. (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's an interesting one in the movie for sure. But so, so the movie like has a, has like that grit that was kind of missing in the second one as it got a little more cartoonish and it, it returns to this, uh, sort of sort of urgent circumstance it sort of like reintroduces the claustrophobic environment, heightens it through feeling like a nightmare. The characters actually at one point are like, maybe we're all dead. And they like actually, <laughs> they actually indulge in that as an idea. And it's like, wow, that's fucking, that's, it is that nightmarish. So they're like, are we all actually dead? And then Adrian Brody <laughs> says like, last time I checked, you didn't need a parachute to get there. They're like, we're in hell. I'm like, this is, that's fun. Like it's, it's a fun kind of chewy genre exercise. And like, I think it's, it's a strong entry. Um, I think the movie is burdened by too much CGI that becomes distracting and just deflates whatever tension that's able to be established through just the quality filmmaking, the stunt work, the performances, the, the actual practical effects that they are using. Like there's just CGI just deflates it. And that sucks because it's just like, here's an opportunity to do so much more. And then all it does is just like make it meaningless. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're like, Oh, look at these weird porcupine dogs running at them. They look fake as fuck. Okay. Yeah, no more predator dogs. If we're going to get more of these fucking movies enough with the predator dogs. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I, the yeah. new, the predator was definitely like cherry picking stuff from other movies. And I was like, why oh, did yeah. you pick some of this? Why did you pick shit that didn't work in one of the movies? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Why didn't he call him pussy face? If we're, do, if we're picking the stuff that worked, 
Anyway, um, and Shane Black get, get to I the know, chopper again. <laughs> it, it, oh, all right. I yeah, know. Let's just, let's, we're just sharpening our knives for the eventual the Predator review that we won't actually do. Uh, I know that's going to be brief. <laughs> it's bad. Check Rotten Tomatoes. The end. Um, so I think all in all predators is a it's a weird outlier because one it just comes at a point where it's like you know like part two at least came within a few years of the original this is 14 no what no it's holy shit 20 years later (laughs) yeah yeah 20 years after the sequel and so it's just like Though Predator has never kind of like left the pop culture lexicon, it's always, you know, been in some form or another, especially as people who as children saw it are unwilling to grow up and they're therefore all they want is their childhood reserved to them over and over again. Like it's going to have an audience, but it did like it just felt weird because it was like, well, it's actually like pretty good. All CGI effects aside, all Lawrence Fishburne tangents aside, like <laughs> You know, that like that that's when the movie sort of dips in energy and then has to sort of like pick itself back up for the conclusion. And it just, you know, like it's it's an interesting attempt at like a part of darkness section. Of, yeah, it's a cool idea. Just really kind of lame execution, because by then everybody's just getting picked off eventually, too. So, and I think yeah. that's that becomes the problem with all sequels behind the original is that mm-hmm. like you, you can point to all of the movies, including The Predator, which we will not be talking about because we're just going <laughs> to give up. Um, but like. You can look at the second one and be like, setting it in the city, that's an interesting idea. And it's just like, but something about it doesn't connect, like overall. Like, I think it's a fun movie, but just something about it fundamentally doesn't connect to the intensity, to the authenticity of the original. The third one is like, it's a good concept. They get dropped on an alien planet, spoiler alert, from eight years ago. Um, and it's, it turns out it's a gaming preserve that the predators are then going to hunt them on. And like, that's an interesting idea. And like, and I think most of, mostly it works for this movie as like a, as a premise, cause it's a lean economical premise, but the other stuff that doesn't work is just like, yeah, it's an interesting idea that you bring in somebody who survived and then has gone crazy in the jungle, like Lawrence Fishburne. But it's just like, right. why is Morpheus like not making, why is he talking to himself? I don't get it. <laughs> Why is Furious Styles just so like frumpy nowadays? Um, so like the movie does manage to ramp itself back up for the conclusion, but it's also kind of burdened by too much CGI and like, and so therefore, you know, the, the sort of the moments that are earned and even the first two, you know, which maybe we just mean the first one, like those moments where like, Arnold is defeating the predator. They're earned. They're like, they're, yeah. there's just like this sheer animalistic quality. And then when, you know, Adrian Brody, who's doing a fine job of growling, like <laughs> Christian Bale from the dark Knight movies. Um, <laughs> when he lops the predator's head off, you're like, that looks so fucking fake. Yeah. Like, that just looks like, this looks like a video game. And if half the movie is one person really committing to the reality of it, and then the reality of it looks fake, like, I don't know what we're doing, you know? So, but there's an earnest effort to that movie. And I think it mostly works. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's like a dismissiveness to, uh, to like 
part two and like, even though I think predators was more accepted, mm-hmm. there's just a dismissiveness with everything, but I don't think it's as warranted as with the predator, which we're, Indeed. we'll get into. Right we're going to briefly, briefly dwell because it's just going to be a laundry list of complaints. I think at this point with this movie yeah. and be, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Cause uh, an, uh, I think a good launching off point predators was made responsibly. It was made yeah. with a, a, a kind of a mind blowing low budget considering all the production value in the movie, which I think right. it, it does often look like it's on a set of a jungle, which kind of loses that, but it might not be. I, I actually don't know if they shot it for they, real in the woods. I think they shot a lot of it in Hawaii and then okay. they, they okay. found comparable locations in Texas that could kind of mirror some of the scenery that they found in Hawaii. So like, okay, I think for a lot of the stunt work or at least some of the stunt work, they, they shot it in studios. Like, you know, and some of the stunt work is fucking stunning in that movie. Yep. Like, there's a there's a scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger is sliding down, you know, like a hill and then he plummets into, you know, a river essentially mm-hmm. in Predator and then in Predators say it's like replicated but it's like so much more kinetic and intense and not in the way that it has become distracted and annoying in a lot of movies like it's fucking stunning like yeah. zooming the camera over people like somersaulting off a cliff is like, Oh shit, this is like kinetic, great action filmmaking. And, um, so I think some of the stunt work was maybe in a studio, but it's mostly shot in some form of a jungle. Maybe not one as intensely claustrophobic and unpleasant as the original predator, but right. Which makes sense too. Cause yeah, they're on their planet at this point. So it has to have a different feel to it. And yeah, and it, and it works for the movie in that way. And I just think it was made by Robert Rodriguez being the, like the overseer of it and a director that he could work with. Like it was made responsibly. And I think, uh, had a had this basically just about the same weekend box office wise as this new one, and the new one cost like more than twice as much. Million, I think is what yeah. it says. Which yeah. okay, pretty low if we're comparing it to the biggest of the big movies, but it's too expensive considering that as now the numbers have borne out is. It, it made the same amount of money and eight years later, that's not good. That means that's essentially like a franchise killer, Yeah. Um, which maybe that's good. Let's just no. let it be. Yeah. <laughs> no, like that is good. Like I, cause now like we'll get into w- all that's wrong with the predator. So much briefly. Um, <laughs> but like, unfortunately as, as much noble effort has been made to like do, pay tribute to and honor what was originally endearing about in a, like an idea and an effort. Maybe you just should have like, like Siskel says in the the episode that will be quoted on this um, podcast, where he says like, my imagination is better, which is kind of a, that's kind of a, you know, smug thing to say, but he's like, he was talking about seeing the predator. He's like, when it's invisible, Ebert calls him out and he's like, He's like, you only like the look of the predator when like you don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, because my imagination's better, and it's just like, eh, pretty smug, but like, uh, that's that's okay because it's like maybe taking the idea of like how evocative the original predator is, like, oh, what? Are, I wonder what his world is like. I wonder what this and that. 
maybe it's just better if we just consider that. And then we move on to a new concept. We move on to a new project. We find a new vehicle for Arnold Schwarzenegger to star in. And we find a new vehicle for all these, like this great cast. And like, you know, it's, it's not that some ideas aren't worth revisiting, but it's like, if it's proving time and time again, that it's just like, it's diminishing returns you know, like varying degrees of it, because you you could argue that like Predators is a step up from Predator Two, but the Predator is by far the worst Predator movie, and like it it's just it's up there with like the worst sequels, where it's like all tone, all charm is abandoned for the sake of something else, and that something else doesn't really measure up. You know, like. We, we found out that like Shane Black was directing this new installment. You know, he's been a writer of a, movies that we've, we've loved and championed on the podcast. He's been a writer and director of movies that we've also loved and championed on the podcast. So it's like, he's a good fit. He's in the original Predator. You would assume he and Fred Decker, who um, co-wrote it with him. Yeah, who Monster Squad. Monster Squad, which I feel like this movie actually shares more with like the Monster Squad than it does with predator movies i think Um, so and it's not a good fit they do that abandonment of tone and there's just there's just something just fundamentally not connecting you know they're like did i did we say this on the mic already the beverly hills cop threes or was this off mic it was off mic okay so like lethal weapon four just like runs the franchise into the it that's a franchise killer it's just like they were already planning on ending at that one but it was just like Look, all charm has been siphoned out of this. Um, Beverly Hills Cop Three is just like it's all like all sense of connectivity to like the world is gone, and so like that's what this feels like. Uh, and like what it does bring, like if he even if it was a successful just Shane Black movie, and weird, there's a predator in it, like that would have <laughs> been maybe enjoyable. But the movie is just like in addition to it not achieving any of the tone charm success of the originals, like it's a bad movie and how it's assembled. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's haphazard. There's no connective tissue. There's no coherence to the action. And it's just like, as you're watching, you know, like a sequence where let's backpedal a little to talk about like what actually happens in this movie. So for one, you introduce a whole host of characters in separate locations. You have a sniper who encounters a predator early on in the film, who then is taken in for a psych evaluation by a team that knows about the existence of aliens um, and the predator and like wants to sort of invalidate him and stick him in um, in an insane uh, asylum with other PTSD suffering soldiers that's not bad. That's a pretty good premise. You've got like, you know, a group of oddball soldiers that, you know, have to bring it together when they do encounter a predator. Like if they just focused on what was that dynamic group two, as it's referred to with a strong ensemble, you know, you've got this, this group of like damaged soldiers mm-hmm. who uh, are main character. What's the character's name? Oh boy. boy uh, I don't know the character's name. The Boyd actress Holbrook Boyd Holbrook. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, he, he's handsome, handsome guy kind of looks like somewhere between Jeremy Renner and C Thomas Howell. Like, all right, it's fine. Like he's sort of generically handsome and interchangeable with other actors, but that's good. He's, I mean, he's, he's strong enough. 
and then you you then are sort of like sticking him in a group of damaged soldiers played by Thomas Jane, uh, Keegan Michael Key, um, the guy from Narcos, Trevante Rhodes, the from Moonlight. Yes, who's probably like my favorite performance in far and away dude he's by yeah. far, and he has very little to work with but he at least no he, he chews into the scenery in the right yeah. way so like let's just so the establishment of their dynamic they're all on a bus together they're getting you know ready to be taken to a psychiatric facility which now that i'm thinking about why the fuck were they on the bus if they were all headed to a psychiatric facility like wouldn't they already be there if they're already an established group like oh boy this is you start asking questions like that i mean the movie already yeah, is falling apart worse. But yeah so <laughs> so th- not to mention like you have the team of scientists um sterling k brown is the sort of head shit talking scientist who knows about the predator and uh olivia munn is brought in as a consultant because she um she uh she has studied um Hello, aliens uh, or something. I don't know. <laughs> alien evo- evolutionary biology, I think, is what it was like. They say that she was like she invented this. I'm like she did. Like it really? seems like a pretty common thing that must have predated her by like a hundred years. Okay. Anyway, can I ask so, you a random question? Yes. Why did she have a sleeveless scientist outfit when she showed up to that place <laughs> and everybody else has sleeves? Did you recognize that? It's just a small part in the movie. They have to why change. Do, why does she know how to effortlessly fire machine guns with <laughs> scientists? Like, how did she know to take her clothes off and then the predator wouldn't see her under the heat lamps? I mean, that seemed like she knew what she was doing. No, no, no. Okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> I, like this section that you're describing forgive us if we're jumping around too much audience, but um, that's probably the most successful section of the movie. Yeah, and like this part. And so, so, so the predator comes to while he's being evaluated by this team of scientists, he wakes up and everybody's like, Oh shit. And then he like rips out of his restraints and uh, Olivia Munn is in there. Don't remember her character's name. Um, and then she has to get out while like the predator is just like ripping through everybody. It's like, all right, the movie's coming to life. It's clearly not as good as the other ones, but that's fine. If like, if it hits these strides, great. So she, after we've been introduced to the facility through her decontamination scene played opposite Gary Busey's son, Jake Busey. Um, yeah. Wink to the audience. Um, uh, so, the only way to get out is to re decontaminate yourself. So like that was the only way the door was going to open up is if she decontaminated herself. So she had to take off all of her clothes again, which is just like, Oh shit. Really? Like that you needed to set up a suspense sequence where a woman has to take off her clothes in order to like, in order to like get to safety. Yeah. But in that she's, she's nude, crouched on the floor the predator looks at her she's not armed which is usually what the predator needs to initiate conflict and contact she sees someone unarmed or he sees someone unarmed maybe it's genderless i don't know why am i trying to impose masculinity onto onto a violent being who who knows (laughs) hermaphrodite um so the predator sees she's nude unarmed leaves her alone so it's just like okay, uh, that sort of justifies her being nude, balled up on the floor, but I'm still kind of uncomfortable. (laughs) 
So then the predator gets out. She puts her clothes on, goes and chases after him. The people on the bus, all of the ragtag group of damaged soldiers, they all realize that the story that Hoyd Holbrook's character is saying is true. There is a predator. Oh, shit. Their eyes widen. This is probably the height of the movie because you're like, okay, maybe this will work. They drive after the predator. It's the most coherent the action's going to be. She's running after the predator with a tranquilizer gun. She knew to grab that, and she knew she knows how to use it. Oh, she actually doesn't. She shoots herself in the foot. Right. Um, but she's very adept at machine gunning later. Um, so this is <laughs> after this point. Um, everything just kind of fragments, puzzled pieces into a nightmare of incoherence. Um, we haven't mentioned that Hoyt Holbrook's character um, has a son that he has inadvertently found some of the Predator's material that Hoyt Holbrook got from a crashed spaceship. He mailed it to him. <laughs> he mailed it to himself. The kid wound up getting true, it. True. Um, uh, the child is on the spectrum and is uh, bullied by his classmates, and he finds a way to kind of like activate the Predator's helmet and conjure another ship to Earth. Sort of like I thought that was the premise from the trailer, but then it was just like, this isn't clear. Like, no. So someone, another predator comes hunting the previous predator. Mm-hmm. So that's the title is unclear too. Cause which is the predator? There's two predators. So which, which is the one you assholes anyway. So also what about all the dropped stuff, right? Like this, this predator that they had that broke free that it, and you're referencing like yeah, he yeah. apparently had human DNA in him. And that seemed like the movie wanted to go somewhere oh, interesting. See, you're right. You're absolutely right. In that, yeah. like the more we talk about it, like I, f- of course you forgot about that. Right. Cause it's like, the movie does. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's like characters that by the end of the movie, I was like, he died. Right. I don't remember <laughs> how. And it, like my friend who I saw it with, who was much more forgiving than I was, was like, I don't remember either. I'm like, yeah, it was dark in that sequence. I don't Okay. So anyway, so do, do we need to go plot point no. by plot point? Nope. No. Um, <laughs> so the movie like is, you know, we, you've got like the, the, the drama of a man trying to track down his son, which with his ragtag group of friends and like the movie's already hit its apex. And so like you've got uh, this, the g- group two, which is the group of damaged soldiers, they're all they're they're all in it together. Why? Like you get one scene where they're kind of they're not sure whether this is their fight or not, but like that is even sort of like underhanded and like not delivered well. Like you have no sense of why anybody's involved and there's also no sense of scale or consequence to anything. Like people are killed people <laughs> I can't remember where I heard this, but like people are like people who've never killed before kill in this movie. And it's just not a big deal at all. Like, right. <laughs> like the son character inadvertently blows a kid up. Yeah. Who cares? And it's just like that. Like, I think it's that gross. is that what you're sort of pointing out is like a movie being smug and that tone just not fitting. Like they're like, mm-hmm. it's intended as a punchline, but it's just like, but if nothing matters in this world, then why am I invested in anything that's happening? You know, yeah. like if, if people are dispatched, like they're essentially there's there's a team of military scientists, I'm assuming, who are like they're so concerned with keeping this a secret that they're 
most likely going to kill anybody who's been exposed to like knowing about the predator. And so therefore they're an enemy, but they're also like they're military, they're shared, but they're killed with like a sort of a, a level of disregard. That's confusing. It's right. just like, you have no problem just shooting that guy in the fucking eyeball. Like what is, what is happening? And so that, traces back to my like my question of like if that doesn't matter what does matter you know what i mean like if coherence in the action doesn't matter what am i supposed to be paying attention to right no go ahead oh i'm sorry (laughs) no 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 no, no. i need to stop uh i mean it's it's there uh i don't want to like uh, theorize too much. I feel like there's bound to be a story that will eventually come out if anybody even gives a shit two months from now or whenever it would be deemed okay. But like, there has to be a behind the scenes story, like of what happened in this production because right. I don't think Shane Black is an expert with staging action. But my God, he looks like he's never shot action before in this right. movie. And yeah, yeah. The, the incoherence is out of control. The smugness is sort of multifaceted because. That scene you referenced where Jacob Tremley, the the boy with Asperger's, who's the son of Boyd Holbrook in this movie, he's got the predator mask for a while. Um, And also this movie does a bunch of takes a bunch of leaps with the technology that we didn't know about in previous movies that just seems sort of conveniently sort of. Uh, equal to like our technology where like, oh, they can text each other with their masks. They can, they can locate with a GPS on their mask. Like it, it just yeah. introduces stuff that I'm like rolling my eyes at where that would be fun to introduce ne- new technology like they do in all the sequels. But like that just felt lazy as did this, this whole sequence where Jacob Tremblay is, is a bullied kid, right? And he's made fun of. He kills a dude that basically just tells him to fuck off at one point. And it's because it's such a simple, childish movie, we're supposed to be like, fucking yeah, kill that guy. Who cares? Yeah. And that's weird, even for a big action movie. That's where it, that's that's what people, I think, are referring to or thinking of when they dismiss the previous movies. They just think they're all dumb like that. But this is like really stupid and, and, and just sort of like gross, but the yeah. smugness takes on the, uh, I, when I'm talking about this movie overall leans into a smug tone. I think the humor is mostly falls flat. Right. There's a lot of good actors in here doing what they can, but so much of it falls flat. It comes almost furious. Like you're watching like improv scenes from like a Judd Apatow movie that just yeah. doesn't, doesn't mesh. But like, I've seen some critics that mostly don't, you know, pretty much across the board. This movie's not very well liked, but no. a lot of people are like Olivia Munn and Sterling K. Brown are awesome. I, I've seen that a few times. I I don't agree with that, and that's just a taste thing. But my big issue would be like Sterling Sterling K. Brown's performance is the the most guilty of what the movie is and tone is just smug, and it's not enjoyable to watch somebody be such a monumental asshole only for them to be dismissively offed in like random two well, yeah, second shot. I think it's just no, weird. Yeah. There's no sense of an arc with anybody. And like, no. that's like, I think we texted about this, that like Shane black introduces, cause you know, he wrote this with Fred Decker who directed the monster squad and the worst RoboCop movie, RoboCop three, where RoboCop yeah. flies PG 13 and he flies. Anyway, um, so, like, he introduces all of these threads and these characters, and, like, I I posited to you, like, maybe this was intended to be much longer, and I don't think it would be better for it, but I think it would be a lot less 
like insanely incoherent if like it it was allowed to breathe more like it introduces so many characters threads and ar- arcs that, that like don't don't that aren't arcs like you have sterling k brown's character who like you're right he's like he's an asshole and he's just like a shit talking scientist which ooh, that's new like how he's just like he talk. He's like, "That's badass." Like when he's talking about coining a term for like what they call it. They call it the predator. Yeah. And um, but like he doesn't get an arc. He doesn't. You don't get to see his journey to where he becomes a decent person by the end. You don't get his motivation really. Even like all of these things that like if we're if we're abandoning character arcs, if we're abandoning coherence in the action for favor of like something else then it's just like what is that something else that matters so much that you just don't give a shit you know and like sterling k brown was actually in uh, a genre movie from a few months ago called hotel artemis Hmm. and like it's that it's it's concentrated in a like one location and this like crumbling hey los angeles is falling apart in the future (laughs) and uh it's this like hospital for criminals who can't go anywhere else. And then it becomes like an assault on precinct 13 scenario. He's great in it. Movies like pretty solid did not do anything at the box office. Like, and that's what I mean by like that, that the movies that are like original that are coming out from like that genre are like just not getting much fanfare. Like I think people liked it who did see it, but not enough people saw it. So it's a movie that like, that type of movie will get less and less traction and theatrical releasing. And then we'll just plummet straight to VOD where there won't be enough money to make it like, well, you know, with like a sense of sophistication and scale. Mm-hmm. So back to the predator, I just wanted a brief commercial, you know, interruption for another movie that Sterling K Brown was good in. Um, but like, all right. So you have, what you mentioned with the cast, like doing their best and it's just not landing. It's just not connecting with the original predator. What we were talking about with like characters getting lost and there being a sense of consequence and like every person who dies off, you feel it. You feel the sense of the walls closing in like that loss of that person that you were invested in, you cared about. And also that like shit, it's getting worse and worse for the people who are surviving in this, the predator, um, you there's a moment where one of um one of the actors is like hoisted up by the predator and one of the two predators um uh and is the sequel to this going to be called the predators <laughs> it's who knows <laughs> um some predator a little <laughs> a little more predator uh Several so like he's hoisted up on top of the school bus and um you're like oh shit he's the first one that's going to die then he gets left alone. And so it's like, maybe no one's going to die in this movie. And you know what? Like if you like these people well enough, which you don't really actually get a chance to, um, maybe that's okay. But you get to the, I'm going to fuck it. I'm going to spoil this movie. Like, I'm (laughs) like, I, I don't know. So everyone is in the last 10 to 20 minutes is dispatched of in the most like, passionless like ugly way possible like i think that there was an attempt at some sort of emotional resonance but it's so phoned in that it comes across as grotesque yeah like just characters like and then they get moments where it's supposed to be like poetic and reflective but it's so rushed that it like ends up being like comically awful you know like Mm -hmm. keegan michael key and thomas jane are 
supposed to have the same dynamic as I believe Jesse Ventura and Bill Duke have in the original Predator. Like they're the one, they have a camaraderie. They understand each other. And like you, it's never earned in the movie. You just are told that at one point. You're never told that in the fucking Predator. Like you just see it. It's earned. You know it. And then when Jesse Ventura dies, like you see the anguish on Bill Duke's face. Like you, like all of that stuff is earned. Those moments land. Like they like each other because they were in the same unit together. Oh, like that's what happens in this new Predator. And then when they meet their demise and have their sort of heroic uh, sacrifice, you're just like, this is gross. Like this is just not earned. And like how extreme their like dispatching is, is like, I can't tell if it's intended to be comedic, but then it's just so hurtful to like have it be intended as a punchline and the punchline's not funny. And so it's like, it's neither funny or sad. It's just gross. Yeah. It, and it then feels like Shane Black like forgot Shane how to direct movies direct. with this. It, it's really yeah. strange. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, he does have like, you know, in his, in his, from his di- directorial debut with kiss, kiss, bang, bang, there is like a sort of focus on, uh, you know, the movies being largely quip driven and being kind of like having a sarcastic detachment and if the whole movie is like that, the way Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is, the way The Nice Guys is, even though I think The Nice Guys actually has like a, a sort of decent amount of emotional resonance with the character development and with the performances between Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Like, I just think that this is a bad match, like you've mentioned before. Like, it just doesn't fit. Like, the original Predator is subversive, but it's not sarcastic. Like, right. That- that's what this movie is. And to me, it's like an unearned sarcasm. Cause it's like, well, what are we fucking, what are we making fun of? Like, this just feels like it almost felt like he, he had a, like a disdain for the material, you know, and it was just which like, is weird. I think none of us expected that. No. Cause he, cause of his involvement in the original one, you know, and like, and just because of his sort of like, uh, usually zeroing in on damaged protagonists who can't help, but eventually rise to the occasion. Like that's his core group of characters are always that, you know what I think it is. What this movie is not set at Christmas time. Hey, right. There you go. It's, it's not a true Shane black movie then. I no guess. set at Halloween. Totally threw everything off. Um, <laughs> although monster squad is most likely set at Halloween too. Um, mm. But all right, so everyone's dispatched. Like the there's a sequence on top where they're surfing on top of the Predator spaceship, and that reminds me of the shittiest moments of Alien Covenant. And, and Prometheus has something like that too both, in it. Of course, yeah. yeah. And Star Trek uh, Into the Great Beyond or whatever the fuck <laughs> that one was called. Um, and and then like the last two likable characters are dispatched of and it's all it's equally dismissive and grotesque where you're just like what like why why don't they just live or why don't like i don't know like it's just like it's pointless and then their sacrifice pointless therefore the movie feels pointless and like not to mention that just the action no longer makes sense like the spaceship goes down after our favorite performance in the movie is done away with in this ridiculous finale <laughs> And like 
inexplicably an alien dog shows up after it's been contained, locked in a shipping container, manages to find the action miles and miles and miles away along with Olivia Munn. How the fuck did she get there? Like none of it makes any sense. And you get the sense that it was just like, well, who cares? Well, it's like, well, I then why should anyone care again? You know what I mean? If they didn't care, why would we care? Sort of thing. And that's how the whole endeavor comes off is, you know, it's hard to uh, it's hard to care. I do. I think we got to cut ourselves off, dude. We're just we're just going too long. <laughs> I don't mean to be cranky. I'm just getting cranky even thinking more about this movie. Yeah, it's, and I, it, I think it's just that that ugly cynicism of like you know you mentioning that maybe someday there will be some tell all if anybody cares, but it's like until then, the studio is only interested in you know getting their money back. Understandably. But it's like you're only getting PR versions of like, I had a great time working with it. I love this cast. It's great. You know, you're just like, wow, yeah. wait a minute. And it's just not honoring the actual narrative of what is experienced in the movie, which is incoherent, just rambling, uh, just n- n- charmless. It's also yeah, weird that in this movie, you know, set many, many years after predator two which is referenced they reference 87 and 97 that's correct does this seem like the same world that existed in predator two i mean i don't no. think so it, it just looks like our world today which is weird if you think about the continuity of where the series was going it should be a, a somewhat different than our world because predator two was you know it was an extreme comic book reality and okay if you want to do away with that then don't set it where I can clearly see it's not the same. It's just weird. So much just doesn't work. It's a movie that like in the moment it might work for some people, but God, the more I thought about it, the more I texted with you all weekend, I was like, Oh fuck. I hate this movie. It's, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's actively bad. I was getting a text (laughs) from a friend last night that was just like, Holy shit. This is bad. Like with eight A's bad. (laughs) I please ask me beforehand. I would have urged you not to see it. Mm hmm. This is coming from people who, you know, not only like this series or one of them, um, but like, you know, like Shane Black and what he does and like maybe he'll pare down and like focus on like his his strengths and something that's a little less that comes with a little less baggage from a franchise. And maybe the franchise just needs to sort of relinquish its baggage and just be like, you know, revisit the original. Yep. Do that exactly. Well, shit, watch any of the original three, the first three. Go there, or I don't know. Maybe I'll go watch Hotel Artemis or Upgrade was a small fun action movie from the summer. Yeah. Check that out. Or shit, go see Mandy, which has Bill Duke in it in an amazing scene that is so good. Uh, so there's so much other things to go for. It's 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 uh, it really I think the Predators only number one this weekend because it's a big movie. It was like the big movie. But yeah. uh, I, I foresee a huge drop after this weekend, and it's probably going to be sad, you know, for all the people that worked on that movie. Uh, but maybe we'll find out what happened, or maybe Shane Black just made a shitty movie uh, with his crew, which is sad either way. But uh, I feel kind of dumb because, like, you and me, like, I know I've been anticipating this one for all through the summer, watching the originals and going back and just being like, God, this series ain't bad. You know, like they're even first one's great. As we've mentioned, the sequels are fun, you know, to varying degrees. And this one's just the the first real, real stinker. I think for sure. Did, did you um, share it with anybody who hadn't seen it before? Like the original movies? Uh, yeah. My girlfriend, Elaine actually. And she's, she definitely kind of 
smirked at the beginning of the first one uh-huh. and then was like, oh, wow, this movie is like she 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 leaned into it and got into it once like it became a Predator movie. Yeah. Uh, she thought she kind of knew what it was. And she's like, oh, I didn't realize that there was all this like, you know, uh, you think it's a different movie and then it becomes something else. So um, yeah. I thought that was pleasing. And it's not her kind of movie, but she she does like action movies. So she yeah. went for it. That's what I mean. It has to be good in order to overcome those things. And it's just like leaning on the work that one thing does like after the fact, it's just like, to me, that's just so cynical. So to avoid being any, any more cynical, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap it up. So just chill to the next episode. All right, so this is uh, episode 185 of Adjust Your Tracking. As I noted at the top, you can find us and those of our other shows at theplaylist.net. We have, of course, us, Adjust Your Tracking. There's Over Under Movies. The Playlist Podcast, Ryan Oliver just put out an episode where they talk briefly about The Predator and then also Slice, the A24 horror movie that just got dropped on VOD randomly. Uh, strange. Um, I also wanted to point out Ryan Oliver's really great essay on the playlist. Uh, it's called the messy nihilism and shared DNA of the predator alien covenant and Jurassic world fallen kingdom. I think he does a really great breakdown of what's wrong with these continuing franchises in this modern age. And, uh, he really does thread together those series that it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, so I suggest checking that out as well. You can email us at adjust your tracking at gmail, gmail.com. Uh, subscribe or rate and review us too, uh, whatever podcatcher you use. Um, that'd be super cool. You know, we, we ended on a cranky note, Joe, but come on, this is our jam. I'm so glad to get to talk predator with you and, uh, hopefully we've convinced some people to see predator. Um, but yeah, thanks for talking with me, buddy. Thanks, Eric.